0: Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Before I start this morning, um, I have been aching all week to deliver a letter uh, that God has for someone that's here. And I just feel I gotta get it out. I I gotta get it out now. You can be seated for a moment it's been there all week and i know it's an answer that to a prayer that someone's been praying and it i'm not foolish enough just to think that it's a person that's in this congregation here this morning it may be someone that listens to us on a podcast but someone has prayed something and god has a simple answer you pray to god that you were all alone and you feel you felt isolated and God has given me just a simple answer to a long prayer that someone prayed you are not alone that doesn't sound really profound until you stop to think about it a little bit in regards to Scripture. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I, I'm never going to forsake you. When we entered into the covenant of marriage, I committed myself to you just as you committed yourself to me. I am a faithful husband. I am a great father. I am a friend that will stick closer than even a brother. I want you to know this morning that God loves you, and God is not going to forsake you and leave you alone. I want to tell you this morning that my reason for being here is not because I love the beauty of the building and even though I do love it. It's, it's not just because of the music, even though I truly love the music. My, my real reason to be honest with you for being here this morning is I, I want to be near the one I love. And I have found out a long, long time ago that God inhabits the praises of his people. Whether it's a farm field in the back 40 or an upper loft, it's where he is that my heart longs to be. I pray that that's the reason you're here. I I need to talk to you about a a topic this morning. It has to do with who we are and how we think. And I would like to read Acts, the 17th chapter. I want to be reading from verse 24 to verse 30. Aren't you glad that the Packers lost that game so you don't have to worry about making it home for the Super Bowl. I'm sorry. I threw that in there. But I'm just going to relax this morning. I don't know about you. Relax. When the water no longer being stirred, we'll move on. But Acts 17 verse 24 says, God that made the world and all the things therein, seeing that he is Lord, of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and he hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed, and the bounds of their habitation." that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain of also your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at. But now he commandeth all men everywhere to repent Now Lord, in the next few minutes that we have together, I pray that you would just speak to every heart. Speak to my heart, Lord. Let me see as you see. And let me judge as you judge. And I will give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. When we we continue on that thought about who we are, we're the offspring of God. And I, I think that the Spirit of God tries to change our perception because we're, we're, we're born into a world where everything around us is created by the hands of man, the buildings we live in. We, we are totally structured and we are, our perceptions are affected by the things around us that are earthly. But God is not of this earth. He is a Spirit. And it says in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I really don't think that I will ever perceive who God really is until I am like him. For then I will see him as he is. Now, I, we just quoted the scripture, eye as not seen and ear as not heard in my flesh i cannot perceive the glory of god in its fullest i go back to romans the 8th chapter verse 17 and paul goes on to say and if children if we're children then heirs heirs of god and joint heirs with christ but he goes on to say this if So be that we suffer with him that we may be also glorified together. Now, I would have liked that better if the word if wouldn't have been in there. Because to be like Christ, I must be conformed to his image and his likeness. We call him the suffering savior. So the Bible says if you really want to be a child of God and you you really want to be an heir of God, there are going to be times that you're going to go through the purification process where you are changed from mortality to immortality. Now we had read in Acts the 17th chapter about he's commanded every man, not just some men, but every person... To repent. Now, it's interesting to look at the word repent. The word repent means to turn around. It also means to change one's mind. In other words, to change your thoughts. Matter of fact, we go back and look at Romans 12, verse 2. And it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you will be able to test and approve that God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we're talking about a renewed mind. Now, what does that mean? In other words, to make it new again. At one time in creation, all men... (laughs) there's only a few there, had a perfect mind. Adam and Eve had a perfect mind. But when sin entered into the picture, their mind changed the way they thought was changed. Sin entered into the world. It corrupted the thoughts of man. So the Bible says that God has come to renew that which was corrupted, I go back and look at Philippians, the second chapter, verse 5, and I actually didn't put this verse on my my notes up there, I'm sorry, but I'm going to read from verse uh, 5 to 12. Actually, from 5 to 11. Let this mind be in you, Which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. So when we're looking at the mind of Christ, Paul is actually adding in here what made up the mind of Christ. He was in a form of a servant. And he humbled himself and made himself of no reputation. In other words, he took away pride. Pride likes to be noticed. And pride is something that draws attention to itself. But he made himself of no reputation. And he humbled himself. Now that's that's the beginning of a renewed mind. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So I looked. Again, at that renewing process, and I find obedience. Jesus made it clear when he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. In other words, you'll obey me. You cannot say that you have a renewed mind or a mind like God if you do not have the characteristics of that mind. Humility, obedience. But if you were able to renew that mind as God wants you to, notice what happens here. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and give him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A perfect, renewed mind always will glorify the Father, or God. Jesus said, if you will humble yourself before him, he will lift you up. And that's exactly the process that Christ followed in his own life. He was born in obscurity. He was submissive. He was humble. He had no reputation and God took that man and he raised him up and gave him a name that was every above every other name and exalted him so the key to rising in your walk with God is following the pattern of a renewed mind Do you know how bad a corrupt mind can be You know Paul he I you know I love Paul and my My parents gave me the name of Paul. My middle name is Paul. I thank them. You know, like, wow, that's a great guy to be associated with. And then they even loved me more because they they gave me the name of a martyr. Stephen was the first martyr. You didn't know that, Paul. But Paul was very outspoken. Notice what it says here. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now, I'm giving you a way to diagnose a problem in your life. If you are concentrating on your flesh, you're probably living after your flesh. But if you're concentrating on the things of the Spirit, more than likely, you're living after the Spirit. But notice what happens when you concentrate on the flesh. For to be carnally minded is death not so good but to be spiritually minded is life and peace now notice the terrible thing about having that carnal way of thinking because paul goes on to say because the carnal mind is enmity against god for it's not subject to the law of god nor indeed can be a person with carnal a carnal mindset is a person that rejects and spurns the will of God in their life. The mind is corrupt. It's not logical. It's like talking to a person that doesn't understand your language. And you, and you wonder why they do the things that they do. The carnal mind builds a wall against spiritual things. Jesus in his ministry constantly tried to train the minds of his disciples. He wanted them to see what he saw, and he wanted them to think as he thought. He thought not as a man, but he thought spiritual thoughts. An example. Uh, We heard this a little bit on Thursday night, and it stuck in my mind at, at Parkway. In John the sixth chapter, Jesus tests his disciples. He wants to show them something, the difference between a carnal mind and a spiritual mind. In John six, it says, After these things, in verse one, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, and he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? It's a good question. Now notice what it says after that. And this he said to prove him, or the word prove could be translated test him for he himself knew what he would do. See, a spiritual mind can pick up spiritual thoughts. A preacher never likes another preacher getting up and preaching before him. Because a spiritual, a person that is spiritually inclined picks up the things of the spirit. You ever ever have somebody say, well, you, you preach my message. Well, God's spirit moves out like a broadcast. People that are spiritually minded perceive the things of the Spirit. But I remember one of our professors one time saying, if somebody else preaches your message, then you weren't prepared. <laughs> in other words, if, if the depth of your message was only that, that point, then you didn't dig in deep enough in the Well, but he was testing him. He knew what he would do. He wanted to see if the Philip knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? I do believe that this Andrew was in the will of God when he brought forth the loaves and the fishes because God or Jesus knew what he was already going to do. It was his intent to take what was there, and it was his intent to multiply it in his hands to feed the multitude. We all come to play into play when it comes to revival. You may think that the thing that you're bringing to the table isn't going to satisfy anybody's needs, so why even bring it out or why even think about it? But you forget because you're thinking in the flesh that God can take a little and he can blow upon it and make it a lot. You are significant. You may feel small, but you can be big in God's sight. When you say to yourself, I'm insignificant, you're telling me that you're thinking according to the flesh and not according to the spirit. And you know what you do because the carnal mind is enmity against God, because it's not subject to the law of God. You miss out on your blessing as well as the blessing that could have been provided to those that could have eaten off what you brought. And Jesus took the loaves and when he gave thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down and likewise all of the fishes as much as they would. I, I've been around some Pentecostals. And I mean, we, if we had an eating contest, I think we could, we could score in the top ten. We have some good guys with some good appetites. There was so much there that everybody ate as much as they could or they wanted. It was more than enough. And when they were half filled, no, when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. God likes to prove us, not only to show us what we can do, but what he can do through us. I I know, I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is going to try you if he hasn't tried you already. He wants you to become aware of the power that you possess, but he cannot do it unless he tries you. Now, in this case, they couldn't supply the answer to Christ's question. I don't know how we're going to feed all these people. Well, welcome to the flesh. Welcome to carnality. I don't know how I'm going to solve my problems. I don't know how I'm going to make that payment. I don't know how this is going to happen. That's carnal thinking. But fleshly or spiritual thinking says that I know that God can provide, he has provided, and he will provide. His strength actually is best seen through my weaknesses. Through the things that I cannot do, his strength shines forth. As we get older, and believe me, I, I'm getting more experience in that, we begin to realize just how control, in control of our lives that we really are. We begin to feel realize that we're really not in control as much as we thought we were in control. Our abilities, our physical abilities decrease, but my knowledge has increased. And God will let you know just how control you in control you are. I, I really cringe when I hear people say, I I have no problem with that. I Pastor I have no problem with that. And God says, really? Don't pray for patience because God will bring you to a situation where you have to learn patience. You know, we all are aware of that. We need to realize where our true strength comes from. Now, Paul, speaking in the book of Philippians, the fourth chapter, says, Not that I speak in regard to need. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things. Now here's the spiritual mind, through Christ who strengthens me. Notice what he said. He said, "I know how to be abased. I know how to be abound." But the one thing I've learned in both of these things is that God strengthens me. I know where my strength comes from. And I know where my help comes from. My help cometh from the Lord. The testing ground of proving. That's where what we, we learn what we can do and we learn what God can do. I'm speaking to the guys now. All right. I think you're all going to agree with me. You ever test drive a new car? about You're thinking about buying it? Did you ever wait until you're away from the lot where nobody could see you? And you want to see what it'll do? I don't think women as much as men and you put the pedal to the metal, so to speak, because you want to see what the engine puts out, and you want to hear the sound. I know there's a couple guys in here, and I won't point them out. It thrills your heart when you feel the power that you get, or it disappoints you when it backfires and chugs along. God's testing what you have. Now, God wants you to test him. Yes, yes. It's not just one way. God wants you to test him just as he tests you. We all quote Malachi, the third chapter, bringing all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house and prove me. Prove me? Test me? Now herewith saith the Lord, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive. God wants you to test him as well. Peter, he's in the boat on the Sea of Galilee. The storm's raging. And the boat's sinking and the disciples are shaking. They're crying out because they don't have much longer before the ship sinks. And here comes Jesus in the midst of the storm walking towards them, and Jesus says, calls out to them, and G- Peter says, is it, is it you, Lord? If it be you, bid me to come. I don't know about you, but I, that's really a test. Everybody else is quaking because there's about a, 12 inches of water on the bottom of the boat, and he's wanting to get out and walk to Jesus. You know why he did that? Because he saw that Jesus wasn't affected by the storm. He wasn't going up, and he wasn't going down. He was walking on the storm completely unaffected by it. And something in the spiritual mind wants to be near Christ because there's stability, and there's a place of safety from the storm. And he got out of the boat, and he walked towards Christ not affected by the storm that was in the boat he was unaffected just like Christ was and he walked on the waves do you realize what was happening he was defying gravity he was defying all the laws of nature by walking towards Christ that's not a carnal way of thinking science wouldn't agree with that See, that's the difference between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh does the math. The spirit lives by faith. And when you try to figure out how this is going to happen, you're only going to get frustrated because the spiritual things of God are not subject to the laws of man. The things that try us change us. Job 23.10 says, Behold, he knows the way that I take. Remember what I told you when I started? You're not alone. He knows where you're at. He catches every single tear that falls from your cheek. He's, he's perfectly aware when you're tossing into your bed at night and you're overwhelmed with your situation. He knows. But when he hath tried me or tested me, Guess what's going to happen? I'm going to come forth as gold, precious gold. I think what Job, Job is saying in Job twenty-three, ten, is that there's a purifying power in affliction. There's a purifying power in affliction. Testing goes both ways. It goes back to building trust in God. I test him and I succeed. My faith is stronger. They make me trust in God, my, my, my situations. The doctor comes into the room and he sits uh, across from you on that little stool and he tells you that your situation is hopeless. Hopeless. He tells you that he doesn't have a cure. And that where he can only treat the symptoms and eventually you'll probably uh, succumb to the disease that you have. That's the carnal mind. But God's mind says, by my stripes you are healed. My spiritual mind says that he's the healer. So who do what mind do I lean on? What words do I listen to? Which part of my being do I surrender my thought pattern to? Have you ever had this happen to you? And I think I can, I think everybody in here is flesh. I don't see any people that are completely spirit beings. Have you ever had to take authority over thoughts that are bombarding you? Bad thoughts? And you wonder, where did that thing come from? Where did that thought come from? Or am I the only guy that says this, in the name of Jesus, I reject that thought, and I pray a hedge around my mind. The carnal mind, the earthly mind, surrenders to the thought because it does not have the ability, spiritually, to perceive that it has power to block the thought. People that live after the flesh have a harder walk for God than those that live after the spirit because the spiritual mind is constantly rejecting those things that are fighting against the walk of God in the person's life. But sometimes you have to make up your mind before the test. You have to prepare for the test before the test. The three Hebrew children, for instance, found out that even though they had to make a stand that would cost them their lives, they were not alone in the furnace. Let me go back and just read this. Now, they built the image, and Nebuchadnezzar says, everybody, especially those in leadership, because leadership does not like those that are under it not to obey it in front of of people. That's why he was really angry when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow down to his image because it reflected upon him as a leader. They didn't bow down, of course, we know in Scripture. And then he asked them why they did not... And he gives them a chance to change their mind. But their mind was already set firm. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3 answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. Spiritual mind. The carnal mind says we're not going to survive. A burning furnace, right? That's logical. That's carnal thinking. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Spiritual mind, spiritual thinking. But if not be it known unto thee, O King, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship in the golden, the golden image which thou hast set up. And I'm gonna skip some of the scripture. They threw those men, those three men into the fiery furnace. And those that actually threw them in were consumed by the fire, where the three Hebrew children were And as we go down further in the chapter, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished, and rose up in haste, and spake, and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast, thee three, cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True king, He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. What did I say when we started? God's saying to you, you're not alone where you're at. You might be in the furnace right now, and you may see no way out of it, but let your conviction and your faith in God and the decision of commitment that you made carry you through the flames because he's there with you and it will not harm you. See, when you went into the furnace, you thought you were going to lose everything. You thought you were going to lose your even your life. But really, the furnace is for the glory of God and not for your hurt. You're saying, how does, that happen? how does that happen? Because if we continue to read in this chapter, Nebuchadnezzar's whole view and concept of God is changed. And he makes the laws and decrees that anyone that talks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that their houses will be made houses of dung. Your faith, trust, and commitment Affect not only your circle of friends, but it it affects the whole world or those around you. I um I want to just take a couple more minutes. I know it's it's eleven thirty right now, but there there are a couple things that I feel like I I want to cover. You've heard this story before, but because it means so much to me, you're going to hear it again. We overcome by the word of our testimony, right? How many times have you told your testimony? More than once? I hope you have, because it was the thing that changed your life. When I was roughly five years old, would have made my brother Rick about seven years old, my parents decided that they were going to go for a walk along Root River. I don't know where my brother was that day, but it was just me, my mom, and my dad. And I have a point that I haven't made on this story yet, but I'm going to make it this time. and Because I think you're going to relate to what I'm saying. In the beginning of the walk, as we walked around Root River, everything was fun and games to me. I remember... I loved to run when I was younger. I loved, I lived to run. And I could run for miles. And I pretended, if I, I remember this like yesterday, I pretended being a deer, like I was a deer, running and jumping over the little logs along the path and running around and, like a typical five-year-old. But soon I was separated from my security. I could not find Mom and dad. Panic swept into my little heart, and all my laughter turned to anguish and tears, and fear swept in all around me. So I ran faster and I cried louder. I was running, but I was running in the wrong direction and I went deeper and deeper into the woods. My parents searched for some time, and then they went back home to get help, to help search for me. I cried till there were no more tears. The sun was going down, and I sat almost in a stupor on a stump. And while I sat there in that stupor, no more tears left, no more crying left, a man came to where I was and asked if I was lost. He took my little hand in his and he led me out of the woods to County Line Road, to a road that I was familiar with that ran almost up to our subdivision and at that point he said, my parents would find me there, and he left me there by myself. It wasn't long until my parents found me, and I was reunited with them. I don't know who the man was. would have been a perfect spot for an angel. But my answer, my, the reason I'm telling you this story again this morning is, some in this room, You entered into a situation and it was all fun and games, and you ran and you had a good time. But all of a sudden, you found yourself away from your security. And all of a sudden, you realized that you were lost and you didn't know where you were at. The trees, your problems were the trees, they blocked your view where you could not find your way to a familiar landmark. But when you're all alone, and it seems when you've reached the point that you cannot cry anymore, it seems that God comes in, and he takes you by the hand, and he says, now will you follow me, and I will bring you back home. I want to tell you this morning how much God loves you. I'm going to actually, i got some scriptures I want to share. It's actually at the, at the last of my message here, so I'm going to jump way, way back. Look at that. Look at all the stuff you're missing here. Jeremiah, the 31st chapter. I'll tell you what, in the last four or five weeks, I've learned so many good things from the book of Jeremiah. A book that I didn't think held a lot of interest at one time. I am here this morning to remind you that God loves you. And I mean it when I say God really loves you with all of his heart. Do you know he's head over heels in love with you? Is that hard for you to understand? Verse three says, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. That's the kind of love he loves you with. And then he says this. He wants us to love him back the same way that he loves us. Seems fair. And he says to his disciples in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Just as he loves you, with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his mind. What is love? How do I show my love for God? Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It doesn't, it's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no account of wrongs. Love takes no pleasure in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things and endures all things. If you truly have the love that God has for you, you can endure everything for him, just like he would endure everything for you, and he has endured for you. There's no one that loves you as much as he loves you. He never quits trying to impress you with his gifts and his patience with you exceeds your own mountain of careless deeds and your nonchalant attitude. He does and I, I, as I wrote this down, I felt like God wanted me to write these words because he wanted me to express what he was feeling. He never gets used to your lackluster interest and the casual way in which you acknowledge him. For his love for you is intense and it grows each day you live. He wants you for his own. He loves you that much. He stands by your bed each night and he listens to you breathe in your sleep with the very air that he has placed in your lungs just as you listen to your own children when they sleep at night to listen to them breathe. He loves you so much. How do you turn away from love like that?